everything you say is being recorded, <laughs> um, but will not be used against you in a court of law. All right, Freddie, talk to me. Where were you born? I was born in Lodevega, Guadalupe, Zacatecas, here in Mexico. So Guadalupe, Zacatecas. Yes. But okay. I was born in a house, so I had to count Lodevega. It's a little town. And how old were you when you were brought to the United States? I was eight years old. Eight years old? I barely turned Didn't speak no English. I didn't even know the U.S. existed. I thought Mexico was the world. <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought Mexico was the whole world, and I thought everybody was Mexican, and I didn't know that there was other people. Crazy, because your life events that followed are um, probably blew your mind. Um, where were you raised at? Mm, well, um, for eight years, I was raised here, and the rest of my life, until 44, I was raised in the U.S., um, in Huntington Park. That's where I lived most of my life. Uh, Huntington from, Park. What, from eight years old to? From eight years old to around, well, we changed, we moved so much. Tell so, me everywhere you moved to, talk to me. When we first got to the U.S., we lived on, uh, I believe it's Cottage in Clarendon. And we lived there for about four months. And then we moved to Albany in Clarendon, which is down just on the street. And then we lived there for about two years. No, I say about a year. And then my dad got kicked out the house from his girl and we, we went and we lived in a motel right there on uh, Santa Fe and uh, I believe it's Florence or a little more down, Nadio. So you yeah. came to the U.S. with your father, not your mom? Yes. Um, okay, I came to the U.S. Um, because my, my grandma passed away in uh, 81. Okay, and so you came straight with your dad with, well, was my, it just you or, or your dad and your brothers? It was me and my two, well, my two brothers and I. Okay. But my, my dad came back over here because his mom passed away and they made a decision to separate the family because my mom couldn't uh, take care of everybody. So he took the men and my mom kept the women. Okay. And so you lived on Cottage in Clarendon with your father, your two brothers, and that's Huntington Park. Yes. How long did you last in Huntington Park and in the schools in Huntington Park? Well, I went to Middleton Elementary. That was my first school. Um, I went there, I say, about three, three years. Um, even though I lived in different places, I still was going to the school. From there, I went to, I think it's 96th Street School. It's also an elementary. Uh, we have moved to 92nd in uh, May, May Avenue. And uh, from there, we moved to East LA. What was that like, the school on 1986? Um, was it predominantly Latino or African-American? 
it was predominantly African American. So we moved from Huntington Park, which is basically um, white. Like, it was white back then, right? It wasn't no, it predominantly white, or no, it was no, already it was Latino. No, it was a lot of Mexicans, but there was a lot of Cambodians. Um, in in um, in Middleton, um, but there was a lot of whites too. White Mexicans, white, you know, white Chicanos. Chicanos. No, no, no. I mean, mm, well, yeah, you can say Chicanos, but well, know. yeah, white Mexicans, Chicanos no. that were born here that speak English don't speak Spanish. No, no, no. Right? They just wanted to be white. These were white Mexicans. They they didn't associate with the Mexicans there. They associated more with the whites that were there, but they were Mexican. So you went from that elementary to ninety six street. Ninety six street. So early on in your life, you're already having all these changes, like no foundation, no stability, no you know direction. So you go from there to there to. Tell me how many elementary schools you went to. I went to um, Middleton, 96th Street School, Fort Boulevard in East LA, and um, one more in uh, Montebello, uh, Eastmont. Wow, Eastmont, East okay. Take it back. Eastmont is a junior high, but they okay. start you at a, a sixth grade. Uh, okay. So from Eastmont, you went to what school? From Eastmont? I went to Edison. That's when you went to the to the Florence district. Yes, I went back okay. to the Florence district. I have friends already that were living um, in in South LA from the times that we we had lived there before. So I had. So you were in. So you were in junior high when you got into Florence. Yes. yes. Okay which predominantly the largest Latino gang in that area, correct? Anyhow, um, so junior high to high school, you're living with your dad, your mom's in Mexico, you still have no stability, no direction. And you, like a lot of us, we just took to the street, right? We're friends, our friends were our family. Yes, well, you go, when I went to the schools, you, that's where you make your friends. And that's where you actually start making like a different family. When I went to, to Edison, that's when I, I, I actually made a lot of friends. Uh, so my best friends, I've ever, almost all my friends, I made them in Edison. And they were all from the gang. They were all from, uh, well, it was this time Midnight Killers. And, you know, we hanged around, we're all the same age. And was Midnight Killers like a independent gang from Florence at the time? Yes and no. Midnight Killers um, was like a subgroup of Florence. It wasn't a clique. It was like a subgroup that was inside of Florence area. And almost everybody had a brother from Florence or an uncle or a, uh, or a mom or a dad or or whatever, you know, so everybody was connected. Oh, I get it. Was it kind of like the Midnight Street Boys? Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is that it wasn't considered a clique. It was never considered a clique.
from Florence because we want not everybody had to get into Florence to be from the midnight killers. You just had to get into the midnight killers. Okay. So what happened with that? Let's fast fast forward. Midnight Killers ends up being pressured into getting into no. Florence, right? Uh, well, I, can't, I will not say pressured. Um, events. Happen. Okay, you guys wanted to keep it re real and fast. You wanted to get into Florence. No, things happened. There was fighting that caused us that we either had to break up or change the name. Um, there, there was told to three different subgroups. Midnight Street Boys was one of them. OG Street Boys were the other one and Midnight Killers was the other one. All three of us had to change our name because of something. One of them got killed by another one and we cannot kill each other because we're supposed to be all friends, homeboys. And because one guy from the OG Street Boys got killed, all three of us, because all three of us were fighting each other, we were all told that we had to either break up or change our name. And when we changed our name, we decided to might as well everybody be from Florence. We couldn't have some from Florence and some not. So we decided, we made that decision at that time that we were going to have everybody get into Florence because- What I year had, was this? This is um, 89. When the changes were, were, were made, it was 89 or beginning of 90. Yeah, somewhere around there because I say 89 because I went to camp in 89 and I remember getting out and I was already from the Malditos. We already had made the decision to make, to for that to be the name. So I think it was before I went to camp. And um, so that decision was made, everybody, you know, got into Florence and from there it just took off. But my life, my- How old were you when you went to camp? Um, I was 14 or 15. I think I was 14 and turned 15. And you went to juvenile hall first before camp. Yes. What juvenile hall did you go to? Um, I had the bad luck of always going to East Lake. East Lake? Yes. So that was early 90s, late that 80s? Early, that was late 80s. Okay. And did they call you your nickname by then? Yes, I was already known as uh, Spooky. Um, from the days of uh, Edison, from 86. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, tell, fast forward to the day the cops, LAPD, rocked your world and with their corruption from day one. From day one. Well, how old were you and what happened that day? The day was normal. I had plans to go take one of my friends to uh, his parole. How old were you? I was 17. Okay. So and you were a minor. I was a minor. And I had plans to go take one of my friends to go see his parole agent. And But when I woke up in the morning, my, my sister called me. And she said that LAPD was over there at, at our other house. I was living with my mom, I'm Ramani, in 60-something. Uh, 61st or something like that. And my other house was with my dad on 69 in San Pedro. And the cops had raided my house on 69 and they were looking for me. So my sister called me, she lived next door. And she told me that the cops were looking for me and, and uh, I told her, well, put one of them on the phone. And there was one officer named Alicia that I already knew. Um, I knew her from the other incidents. 
And I started talking to her and I told her what was going on. And she told me I was, um, that they had a warrant for my arrest for an assault. So I told her, look, um, I don't know what you're talking about, but this is where I'm at. I'll talk to you guys, come pick me up, I'm right here. So I gave her the address of my house, uh, my mom's, and she got there, they picked me up, took me to the station, and they told me, you know what, um, we're gonna, we have to charge you with this in assault and battery. Some guy was saying that I stabbed him, and I got arrested for that. Um, this is July 22nd of 92. Mm -hmm. So I get arrested for this, this case, I go to juvenile hall, I go to Eastlake, I fight the case within a month and a half, they dismiss the charges because the guy has said that I was real short. And the judge asked me to stand up next to him, well, not next to him, but basically had us both stand up. And there was a lot of difference between my height and his, and he said I was his size. So they dismissed the charges and I was going home. And is it true that they already had they already wanted to pin something on you yes wasn't there an altercation prior to this where you upset some of them officers or detectives no no the that took place when like the, the day that they dismissed the charges the next day um the detectives came to see me the same ones Yes. The, no, this is down the detectives for this other case. Okay. And they, they started asking me questions about uh, if I knew anything about uh, some homicides that had taken place in a certain part of LA. At first, I, I thought that, um, you know, that they were looking for me, that I, they wanted to pin it on me, because obviously that's why they're talking to me. And they started asking me than where I was, what I did on a certain day. And it was like a month or two months before when, before I had got arrested for the other case. And I was like, hey, I don't remember. And then they, little by little, as the conversation went on. I need to ask you for a favor right now. Can you get rid of the bird? Oh, the bird is right here. Yeah. I'm going to my room then. Yeah. Let me go into my room because okay. um, the birds actually have priority here. Okay, so as the conversation went on, they made it uh, very clear that they already had a name in mind of who had committed the murders. And the, as the conversation went on, they told me, look, we're gonna keep it real with you. Um, we're here for two homicides. We have evidence against you. And if you don't help yourself, we're gonna charge you. So I asked them, uh, what do you mean help myself? They were like, yeah. If you tell us who was in that car, who was with you, um, we'll tell the judge that you helped us solve the case and there will, there will probably be no charges filed against you. We'll probably go home. And at that time, uh, that's when things kind of got a little heated up between the both sides. Because at the, I started telling them, well, you're a detective. That's your job for you to do, not for me. Did they question you without your parents? Mm, yes, the questioning took place in, um, in, in Juvenile Hall. And um, this time I was in Selmar. And they called me in for... Uh, okay, but they didn't call your parents and tell them they were going to question you? 
So at that moment, they're already violating your rights, as it? Yes. From, from the get-go. Okay, yeah, from keep the get -go going. They didn't even read me my rights. You know, it was just an interview. It was, but that know, was normal back then, right? LAPD, yes. the sheriff thing. That was that was the mm -hmm. norm. Did so, you feel? Can I ask you a question? Because I know I felt like this during those years. I yeah. felt like we were a gang, but they were a bigger gang than us. Like they were the gang that kind of like. Well, from I remember, I remember having altercations with cops, and you know they would never really ask me like. They never get in professional. It was always like, "Where are you from?" Like hitting me up, like, like, like yeah. a gangster, you know? Like, yeah. "Where are you from?" And then they, yeah. the threats. Like, I remember they dropped me off um, in Thirty Eighth Street on purpose because I wouldn't give them information. So yeah. there was all these little tactics that they used. Yeah. Like, I could have gotten yes. killed. I could have gotten beat up. Me and my homegirls. I mean, we went through a lot of yeah. stuff, you know. And yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I went through the same thing. They, it was very common for them to arrest you. And like I said, this is from prior, you know, runnings with them where you get to see the, the, the ugly side of, um, of the sheriffs and LAPD. And so I, when you talk to them, you're hesitant because you already seen both sides. You see that if they catch you in the alley, they'll beat you up because mm -hmm. there's nobody watching. Um, you know, when they used to pull us over, one tactic that they used to use was that they would have us all leaning down on the hood, leaning on the floor. Uh, so you're kneeling and you're, you got your hands on top of the hood and the hood is very hot of the engine. And they would tell you, hey, you, when I tap you on your shoulder, I want you to get up and run. I'm gonna let you go, you know? So they would tell you they were gonna let you go. You would get up and run and then they would throw the baton and the baton hit you and you fell, they'll beat you up because it would look like you were trying to run away. But in reality, they told you to do that. Hmm. So from those, you were hesitant. So when I was um, talking to them, I was being very hesitant. One, because, you know, being part of the gang, they're the enemy. I mean, it is straight out. The law enforcement is the enemy and we shouldn't be having conversations with them. But, you know, they had conversations with some of my friends and that's how they got to me and that's how they started talking to me. And, you know, they started telling me the name. Uh, they gave me a name of a person that they said that they knew had committed the murders. And they gave me that name and they told me, only you can help yourself. And basically telling me for me to say that that person was with me. And I, I didn't. I, I actually got more cocky with them. I got more smart. Um, and not smart in the sense of being smart, just more smart ass. And we went back and forth and, you know, it led to me and started clowning him. I was like, man, you know, you, you, you have a 17 year old that you want me to solve your case, you know, where you get your badge in a cereal box and this and that. And they finally got mad. And one of them grabbed me from my, uh, from right here from the shirt, moment right here by the neck. And he grabbed me and he told me, hey, you think this is a game? He goes, oh, you think this is funny? He was like, well, watch tomorrow. And then they got up and left. And sure enough, the next day I got charged for two murders. And, you know, I thought, hey, you know what? I, I can beat this. This is America. You know, <laughs> they cannot just charge you just to charge you. I mean, they got to have some type of evidence. But, you know, as you go into the legal system, you find out that it's just as corrupt as every, every, everywhere else.
And how yeah. did you feel? Like, did you feel like these officers were no better than the people they're trying to arrest like, or worse because they am actually making things up for, to feed their own ego to prove to you, I'm, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. This yeah, man gives me power. Like they're uneducated. Like they don't go to college. They don't, you know, most of them are very, you know, have no life experiences, but they get put in a position of power and they do these things to us or they did these things to us. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, I, I mean, I can look at things different ways. Um, you know, I'm, of course, I was breaking the law because I was part of a gang. Mm -hmm. um, and they're the law, but they become corrupt too because they, they have to do a lot of corrupt stuff to get information in order to solve a lot of crimes. You know, they get caught up too. They get caught up in the game. And, and it happens in the streets and it happens in prison. The cops get caught up. And by them trying to do their job, they overstep their job because they see you as lesser than a human being. They see you as you're nothing. You know, mm -hmm. the words that I always remember from the detective was when he told me that, he goes, look, he was like, I know, I know you didn't do it. You know you didn't do it. He goes, I know who did it. He goes, but guess what? My boss is on me to close this case. And the only evidence I have is against you. And to me, it doesn't make a difference if I got the right person or the wrong person. Because at the end of the day, I'm getting a gangbanger out of the streets. And that's what matters. If I got you for something that you did or not, that's something totally different. He goes, I don't care about that. Because somebody else will get caught up for the another case and another case. And at the end of the day, we're having one less gang member, another less gang member off the streets. You know, me, I protect them myself. I just say, you know what? I don't know nothing. I have no information for you. And I kept quiet. And they charged me. I was the only person ever charged for this case. They charged me as a driver because they said it was my Cadillac that I was uh, did it in my car. And that's as far as it went. No real evidence of any kind. And you were a minor, not questioned in front of your parents, taken from juvie, tried as an adult, and then you ended up where? Well, I... In the gang module, right? Yeah. When I went to the county, at first I was like everybody else. This is 92. In 92, I turned 18 years old in, in October. So on the day of my birthday, they sent me straight to, uh, to the county jail with everybody, all the grown people. So... It was like I was a kid one moment and I was a man the next. You know, tell so me that me. moment that ma made you make the decision to go the way that you did. You've already told me, but I want to hear it one yeah. more time. And it's the story about the what you saw and yeah. when you said I'm not gonna yeah. be that person. It was the it was the first day, and the first day that I got to the county, they sent me to what is called the nine thousand floor, 94, 9500. And it's basically a, a big dorm, I'm not talking about a big dorm, with a lot of beds and, 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 the, and the bathrooms, that's it. And they just throw everybody in there. So the first day I got there, you know, I, I'm, I'm, in my head, I'm still a kid. You know, nobody told me that now I got to be a man, you know, I got to do, uh, even though I was doing man stuff in the streets, you know, gang banging and all that, 
but I was still kid doing it against other kids. Now this is grown men, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. And so I get there, I'm watching everything and I'm trying just to be like a follower to do everything that everybody else is doing so I won't get in any type of trouble either with the, with the, with the prisoners or with, um, with the cops because they're sheriffs right there. And when I'm there, I don't know where, uh, I seen, uh, it was like three guys, but one guy was actually stabbing another guy. He was chasing them all over the place, but the other guy were trying to stop him because he was running, he was running pretty fast for, uh, you know, he was running for his life. And he was being stabbed all in the back of the head, all in the back. He already had been stabbed in the front, and he was bleeding real bad. And and I watched this happen for a while because it, it kind of got a, like a little comical. It was like a little funny because, you know, these guys are tripping, falling all over the place, chasing, trying to stab this guy. And this guy, he was really, really, really scared, and he's running for his life. And the what stuck with me was the look of fear that he had in his eyes as he's trying to dodge this guy behind stabbing him in the back of the head or any anywhere he could. And that stuck with me because I asked around afterwards what had happened and when they told me and I was like, wow, this is a whole different world because I just came from a place where you fight with your hands. This is a place where people are getting stabbed. This is something serious. And you where were the sheriffs while these guys oh. running around yeah they were nowhere to be found